Have you ever uh, been in a situation where you've got a problem, you're in a circumstance that uh, you just don't see any way out, or it's just a real struggle, or like the obstacles just seem too great to overcome, and maybe it's something with your kids, maybe it's something financial, something at work, a relational conflict, and uh, it just doesn't seem like there'd be any right decision or any right thing to do, and then someone steps in, and it's like, oh, this is what you do. Oh, this is how you do it. Oh, this is how you live on that salary. This is how you, you pay off those debts. Oh, this is how you pass that class. And you just do these steps and it, it just seems so simple for them. And it's because they're emotionally detached and, and they have a perspective. And likewise, there's people in your life where they're going through something and it seems like a big problem and they're just, man, they just seem so torn down and worn out and, and just so distraught over it. And then you step in and you're like, oh, you just do this, this, and this. And why is it like that? Well, you're detached and you have a perspective. And most of the time you have that perspective because you've been there before. And you say, well, this is how you live on that kind of salary. I lived on less than that. And oh, this is how you pass that class. And and you tell them, well, this is how I did it. And it's because you have perspective. It's because you've been there before and you're detached from the situation. You have perspective and you're able to offer a solution that makes sense that they couldn't see. They couldn't see while they were in it. They couldn't see when they were, you know, blood, sweat, and tears, and worn out, and been dealing with that problem for a long time. That is the premise of this series. That's exactly what we're doing, is we have these giants of the faith, the names you just saw listed, that they've been through what we're going through now, and they've been in those situations, and they've been through it, and they've got a different perspective now, and if they were to speak into our lives they would tell us exactly what to do, and it would just make sense. Let's look at this theme verse together, Hebrews 12.1. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Again, just throw it off? I mean, when you're enslaved by the sin, when you're addicted to that thing, just throw it off? That just seems too simple. But they say, let us run with perseverance the race marked out. For us, So we're running our race. Many of us are getting tired. There's these hurdles we can't seem to make it over. And we don't know how we're going to make it. And then out of the stands comes someone who's been there. And they cheer us on. And so we're listening to what they have to say so we can finish our race. Today we're pulling out of the stands. Last week was Noah. If you missed Noah, you can go back online or on our iTunes podcast and listen to what Noah would encourage us uh, to do. Um, But today is Abraham. Abraham. Now, if there is any one word that is attached to Abraham or that people think of when they hear the name Abraham, it's faith. Because time and time again, he's called the father of faith. He's actually called the father of faith in many religions even. But why is he called the father of faith? Because faith is the ability to trust. And trust only has to happen when something doesn't make sense, when you don't have the confidence, you have to trust that something's going to happen even though you don't have it yet. And Abraham had moment after moment in his life where he didn't see it yet. He didn't have the confidence yet. He had to trust God even when he didn't understand God's ways. Could that be some of us today? Things happening in our life, we can't make sense of it. We say, why would God allow this to happen? Why would God do this? Why would he let this happen? 
And this message today is for the person who says, God just doesn't even make any sense to me anymore. This message is for the person whose heart is breaking and you don't even know if you can continue to trust him in these moments. And Abraham found himself there many times in his life where he just didn't think God was doing the right thing. Have you ever felt like God wasn't doing the right thing? Well, I think Abraham would jump out of the stands and say, I've been watching you and I've been watching your life and I look back over my life and, and I just want to tell you today, for when you don't understand God's ways, write this down, Abraham would say, God always does the right thing. God always does the right thing. And the reason we have to teach that is sometimes we, we don't believe God is doing the right thing. We've all had times where God doesn't make sense. And if Abraham jumped out of the stands and saw you discouraged, he would address the day that, that you thought you blew it and you can't come back from it. He would address um, that situation or that grief where you say that person died way too early. And he'd address that thing where you'd say it's just too hard to understand, and Abraham's going to help us with that today. The plan for today is to look at three stories from the life of Abraham and how they relate to us and, and what Abraham would say if he was looking back over those stories and those encounters with God. So we got a lot of ground to cover. The first encounter is that God is coming to Abraham, and he's promised Abraham that he would be the father of many nations. Uh, but he doesn't even have one single child yet, much less the father of many nations. And so God comes to him in a vision. I want you to see what he says, Genesis 15. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram or Abraham. God later changes his name uh, to Abraham and changes his wife's name to Sarah. So the first, for the sake of clarity, I'm just going to use those names. Came to Abraham in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield. Your very great reward. But Abraham said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? He's saying to God, God, you've got some promises you're not backing up. I've received some words from you before that you're not making good on, so why are you coming to me again? You haven't even fulfilled the last word you gave me. He says, the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus, who was the, the chief servant or the chief of staff in his household. And Abraham said, you've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, this man will not be your heir, for a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He says, don't think I'm doing something other than what I said. I know it looks impossible, but don't think that. And he took him outside. And God has this dilemma where we don't see it and we think it's impossible, so we really can't even see it. But he, he wants to encourage us and reassure us. So he'll at times, maybe he puts a person in your life or, or he'll, he'll put a song or a sermon or something in your life to reassure you. But sometimes it's hard to see. And this is what he did with Abraham. He took him outside and he said, look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Now, I personally believe that meant nothing to Abraham. I don't think he got that at all. It wasn't a the light bulb didn't go off. He wasn't very reassured. He continued to doubt. Let me give you something Abraham would say, though. If 
as he looks back over that encounter and looks back over his life, he'd say, I didn't always get it at the time, but I can tell you now that God always does the right thing. Number one, even if it takes a long time. Abraham would say, I was expecting God to do this. Say, God promised me a child. I was expecting God to fulfill that promise when I still had reproductive ability. I had no idea he'd do it after. And he'd say, but trust me, you're going to think God's taking too long too. So he's, God's promised Abraham he'd be the father of many nations. He doesn't even have one child. And a couple things that we need to know about God that we're not going to like is God's just notorious for taking a long time. He is. I even see Jesus' life and, and his friend, his friend is dying. And he gets wind of it and he doesn't do anything. And he just waits around. And then by the time he shows up, his friend Lazarus is dead. And they say, you're too late. You don't even care. And he says, no, well, yeah, I am too late, but I do care. And I wasn't in a hurry, but I'm going to do the right thing. And he raises him from the dead. Here's how I know Abraham didn't get the whole stars metaphor. And that is that he took matters into his own hands because God was taking too long. And still with no child, Sarah sends her handmaiden, Hagar, to Abraham and says, maybe God intended you to have a child, uh, but it's just through somebody else. Genesis 16 says, now Sarah, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. So she said to Abraham, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abraham agreed to what Sarah said. He went to plan B. And that's always dangerous. Because when God lays out plan A, there is no plan B. And too often we bail on God's plan because of someone else's suggestion or someone else's criticism, or someone else gets a little antsy about it, and we're like, yeah, you're right. What is God doing? And we take matters into our own hands like he did, and Ishmael was the son that was born, and he's the father of what is all the Arab nations. And that lack of patience cost Abraham a lot. And that's an understatement. So we've got to recognize there's more to what's going on than our timing than our anticipation and part of the whole faith thing is you got to be careful you got to be careful God has this thing where he wants his kids to be patient the fruit of the spirit Galatians 5 tells us is patience now we kind of get short-sighted about what that fruit of the spirit is because we think oh that's patience when 71 is backed up and I'm late for work that's patience when my kids going crazy that's patience when my flight is delayed you can apply it to that fine but the fruit of the Spirit, patience, is that it's been weeks, it's been months, it's been years, and nothing is happening. It's when you have been running your race for a while, and there's no visible fruit, and you're ready to give up, and the fruit of the Spirit breathes patience and breathes a second wind into you. It's when you're ready to give up on God's plan and just go with someone's suggestion. Or just say, well, that's better than the dream or the vision or the word or the verse or the thing that I got originally, so I'm just gonna run over there and do that. 
and you're beginning to wonder if you still fit into God's promise. And it takes patience to endure and persevere. God always does the right thing. Even if it takes a long time, number one. And number two, even if it seems absurd. And sometimes God is going to do some things that make you say, are you kidding me? God, really? I mean, this is one of them. Abraham lived to be 175 years old. God waited over half of his life. He waited until Abraham was 99 years old. Sarah is 89 years old. And then God says, the time has come. It's time for you to have a baby. And both of them laughed. And they didn't laugh like, oh, this is so amazing. No, they laughed like, God, you don't know what you're talking about because we know what we can and cannot do here and uh, there ain't no baby coming. That kind of laugh. I'll show it to you in Genesis 18. Then the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already old and well advanced in years and Sarah was past the age of childbearing, 89 years old. Can you imagine going to your friends, asking them to throw a baby shower? <laughs> As she thought, after I am worn out and my master is old, he ain't going to help, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, well, will I really have a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time, at the appointed time, at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. He says, I know you don't get it, but I'm going to return at the appointed time. It's the time I appointed all along, and Sarah will have a son. What is happening in your life that you've got to trust? Timing. You've got to give your timeline over to God and surrender. What's happening in your life that seems crazy, but you've got to surrender that over to God? The Apostle Paul talks about Abraham in the book of Romans. I absolutely love this passage. It's Romans 4, 19 through 21, where Paul says, Without weakening his faith, Abraham faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief. Would you circle those seven words, please? Circle those words. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he'd promised. I love that line, he did not waver through unbelief, because there have been times in my life where my unbelief outweighed my belief. There will be times in my life again where my unbelief will outweigh my belief. And my prayer is, and my prayer for you, is that you will not waver through unbelief. That you will stay the course. That you will not doubt in the dark what God showed you in the light. And if you will stay the course, hope will be renewed. Light is coming again. Persevere in your race. God is not out of his mind. God has not disappeared. God is not going crazy. Endure because God's not finished yet and God always does the right thing, even if it takes a long time. Even if it seems crazy, even when it's absolutely absurd, and number three, even if it doesn't seem right. And the distinction on this particular point is not that he's late, it's that we think he's just doing the wrong thing altogether. We think he's done the wrong thing and we say, God, you're wrong but he always does the right 
thing, even when it doesn't seem right. Shifting stories, the story we're going to look at here is, is where God made the decision to destroy the city of Sodom. And the city had so much wickedness, I mean just so much wickedness, that God just couldn't stand it anymore. And he says, I'm going to wipe out the city altogether. I'm going to take care of this. The only problem is that Abraham's nephew, Lot, lived there. And Abraham said to God, you're not doing the right thing. He said, you're wrong. Then Abraham approached him and said, will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Really, God? He says, I understand the wicked part. I get it. I see it. But you'd, write, you'd wipe out some righteous people too? And he began to bargain with God. And he said, if you found 50 righteous in that city, would you still wipe it out? I'm sure God's probably thinking, if there were 50 righteous people in that city, we wouldn't have this problem to begin with. But no, I wouldn't. Well, if there were 45 righteous there, would you wipe it out? No. If there were 40, would you do it? No. And Abraham works him all the way down to the number that he knew was there. And God said, no, I'm not going to wipe them out. And there are times when all of us question God. And questioning God is not wrong as long as you come to the, same con- or the right conclusion. I mean, even Jesus questioned God. He says, my God, my God, why? Why are you forsaking me? And there are times where all of us will question whether or not God is doing the right thing. Abraham did. A couple of verses later, Abraham says, Will not the judge of all the earth do right? And we'll say, God, you're not being fair. And Abraham would tell you today, yes, the judge of all the earth always does right. One of the most embarrassing moments in eternity is that when those who were convinced that God is always wrong, that God is wrong, they meet him face to face and God drops the curtain on everything that was going on. And it's just, it's going to be embarrassing. And he goes, yes, you were right. You were right. God always does right. And we've got to trust. Here's the fascinating thing about trust is you don't need trust when you agree. If you agree with God, you don't need trust. It's when you disagree with God that it takes trust to keep the faith, to keep believing, to keep following, to keep running your race. You've got to trust even when you disagree. You've got to trust that God does the right thing even if it takes a long time. You've got to trust that God does the right thing even when it seems absurd. You've got to trust that God does the right thing even when it doesn't seem right. And number four, you've got to trust even when we don't understand, even if we don't understand. Here's the Last story that we're going to look at, God now tests Abraham, and it'd be the greatest test of his life. Abraham and Sarah now have a son named Isaac, and he's their only son, and God out of the clear blue tells Abraham to take his son and take him to Mount Moriah, which is now what a lot of scholars believe the Temple Mount. So if you've ever seen a picture of Jerusalem, the Muslims have built this gold dome over the mount, and it's called the Dome of the Rock, where the temple should be sitting. And this story is believed to have happened right there. And it's the place where God asked Abraham to sacrifice his son, to kill him. He said, would you sacrifice him to me? Now, what's interesting is God never intended for Abraham to do that. 
It was a test of his faith. It was a test of his allegiance. But what's fascinating about Abraham is that Abraham, who's been questioning and second-guessing God his whole life, when God asks him to do this, he says, okay. And he, he does it. He goes through with it. He takes his son up to the mountain. He doesn't complain. He doesn't question. Because by this time, he trusts God. Why? How could Abraham do that without questioning God? Because by this point in his life, Abraham knows God. And the more you know God and the more situations and circumstances you have under your belt where you've said God has messed this up and then you realize he's right, after a series of those, you get to the point where you trust him. And you get to the point where you say, I got to see how he's going to work this out. I'm going to follow him because I want to see what he does here. Here's the story. The original account of this story is in Genesis 22. I want us to look at it in our theme chapter, Hebrews 11. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. So he took Isaac up to the mountain and actually, I mean, had the knife over him and was going through with it. And God stopped him and said, look over your shoulder. There's a ram in the thicket. Don't sacrifice your son. Sacrifice the ram. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned, Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. So just picture this with me. Abraham didn't understand the whole ram thing. He was willing to go through with it because he believed that God would raise his son from the dead. How amazing. I mean, it wasn't like he was holding the knife waiting for God to stop him. He was going through with it, believing that God was going to make it right by raising his son from the dead. How did he have that trust? To follow God that way. Psalm 910 says, those who know him, trust him. And I'm trying to increase your faith and tell you that God is on your side. I'm trying to encourage you to make your goal knowing him. Understanding is wonderful. But if understanding him and understanding the circumstance and the situation is the prerequisite to obedience, then you've reduced God down to the level of your obedience. What would Abraham say? What would, how would Abraham encourage us when we find ourselves in these situations where it doesn't seem right, it, doesn't, or it seems absurd, and it seems crazy, and it's taking a long time? How would he encourage us to remember that God always does right? I think it would be what anyone would say to us who is now in heaven. If anyone that you know has gone on to heaven, what would they say if they could talk to you in the middle of your struggles, the middle of your discouragement, your doubt? What would the people say who are already there? They'd come into your situation and they'd say, it's not what you think. They'd give you a fresh perspective. They'd say, keep your eyes off, off of this place. I'd say, we're in this amazing place. Keep your eyes off of this place. Keep your eyes off of earth. Keep, stop thinking that it's going to be the fulfillment of everything you hope for. And put your eyes on a different place. What's interesting to me is that the book of Hebrews finishes its explanation of Abraham's faith with one general thought. I broke it down into two, uh, two portions, but it's one general thought. This one single thought can save your life because earth will disappoint you. 
You got to stop expecting earth to, to meet your expectations. And if you have this perspective, earth is still going to sting a little bit, but you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. What is the hope? The hope is that Jesus is returning and we will be with him in heaven. What would Abraham's parting words be? Hebrew spells it out clearly. The first thing Abraham would say is, don't make earth your home. The fulfillment of everything God has for us does not happen here. This is not our home. Stop expecting earth to make you happy. Abraham might say it this way. He'd say, pass through. Just treat it like you're passing through. Hebrews 11:9 9 through 10 says, By faith, Abraham made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. Even though it's the place God said you can settle here, this is the place I promise. This is your new home. He says, no, I'm a stranger, I'm a foreigner, and he didn't even put up permanent residence. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to a city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. He says, I've got an eternal place that is fulfilling, and he focused everything on that place. That's why Abraham is considered this great man of faith. It's because he had, write this in, an eternal perspective. We've got to live with that eternal perspective. That means everything you do, how you use your time, the words you say, the focus of your life is that this is not the fulfillment of everything. Hebrews eleven twelve says, and so from this one man, and he as good as dead. In other words, he didn't have the ability to be the father of a nation because he was almost 100 years old. From him came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. Time out for a second. The promise made to Abraham wasn't even fulfilled until after Abraham was gone. After he was gone. Which is a big bummer. <laughs> Unless you have that eternal perspective. Unless you live in light of eternity, then it's a reward then it is a joy. Hebrews eleven thirteen through 16 goes on, says all these people, all these people that are mentioned in this chapter were still living by faith when they died. It was going on even after they died. They did not receive the things promised. They did not receive the things promised on earth. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance and they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. They admitted, I was a stranger there. I was just passing through. I was a foreigner there. Can we just admit that today? I'm a stranger here. I'm just passing through. This is not my home. People who say such things show they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had the opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God for he has prepared a city for them. They get it. I want you to get it too. How do you keep that eternal perspective? I've just been thinking about this. I've just been reflecting on times in my life where unbelief seemed to outweigh my belief and 
I question God and, and I would say, God is doing the wrong thing. God has messed this up. God doesn't care anymore. How do you keep that eternal perspective? How do you trust that the promises are true, that they will come to pass? I want you to add this in your notes. This is how you do it. You keep your attention on Jesus. When life doesn't make sense, we fix our eyes on Jesus. When we've gotten lost in our race, we keep our attention on Jesus. When we don't understand God's ways, we keep our attention on Jesus. He ran the ultimate race with perseverance. A race that, hello, made no sense at the time. Jesus' life at the time made no sense. It didn't make any sense at the time. It seemed absurd. It didn't seem right that a man who lived a perfect, spotless life for 30 years, he's stepping out to start his ministry, to bring glory to God, to heal people, to save the world, to do good things. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't seem right that he should be tempted, that he should spend 40 days in the wilderness with the enemy being tempted. It didn't seem right when his own family didn't understand what he was doing and his early followers misunderstood him. It didn't make sense when his followers fell away one by one. It seemed absurd. It seemed wrong. It didn't seem right. It seemed like God had lost his mind when the Pharisees could get away with the lies they told about him and the Sadducees could succeed in conspiring against him. Does that seem right? It didn't seem right when he let Judas betray him and he watched the disciples abandon him one by one. It seemed absurd that God would have Jesus stand silent before Pilate as he's handed over to the crowd. And it seemed horrible. It seemed wrong. It seemed absurd that the crowd would chant crucify him and they'd rather crucify a sinless, spotless, perfect man rather than the hellraiser Barabbas. None of it seemed right. It seemed to take forever as they whipped him within an inch of his life. And it was hard to understand when they hammered him to a cross and all the forces of hell came against him. And it didn't seem right that this man, this perfect man, would take on the sin of humanity, every guilt, every shame, every rape, every murder, every abortion, every lie, every wrongdoing, every sin would be on his mind and on his spirit and the weight would bear him down. It didn't make sense that God would forsake him, that God would abandon him in his greatest moment of need. It was confusing. Nobody understood it when he cried out, it is finished. And when they went to bury him, God seemed like a horrible God. As Jesus was in that grave three days, it seemed like God had lost his mind, that he wasn't paying attention, that he was doing the wrong thing. But he got up from that grave and he defeated death and he defeated hell and he endured his race to the end. Jesus persevered, Jesus endured and his perseverance could not be shaken and now we know. We know, we know what Hebrews 2.14 says, that because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, 
God, I pray for those of us who are going through disappointments, through disease, through death, depression, a failed marriage, anything else. I pray that you'd encourage the discouraged and lift those who have doubts. And God, even if we have to wait for heaven, we trust you. We trust you. We lay down our timeline. We lay down our perspective. And we trust you. And God, we look to Jesus who ran his race with perseverance. Even when our life doesn't make sense, we're thankful for Christ who can relate. We're thankful for a God who is not far away, for a God who is near. It's through Jesus' name we pray. Amen.